closest I can ever come to being like a rock star is like having my good rock music coming up on stage. I mean, it's a little weird little fantasy that I get to live out here. <laughs> hey, it is, uh, it's great to be here. I'm so excited to hear about that, uh, the Paraguay trip and being a part of doing that. I've been down there uh, two, two times, and like I said, one time taking Stephen and some of our youth, and life-changing experience, wonderful people. Uh, I hope that we can send a large team. I think we've had over 20 people at least interested already uh, in the trip. And so come Friday night at, the, at 1 Central, the information's in the worship folder. And, uh, and at least let's hear what, what it's about and how we're going to get behind our team as a church and really have an amazing experience connecting with some of the folks we're connected to there. But lots of great things happening in the life of the church. The one kids are cranking it out today, uh, third week in a row. Today... The kids are getting the opportunity to invite Jesus to be their forever friend, is how we use it for kids, is to help them, how we convey it to kids, is to help them understand uh, how to have a relationship with Christ and really make that a personal connection. And so we're really excited about them, uh, our opportunity to share that with them and open that opportunity so we can really be be praying for those uh, kids as well. I'm also excited because Melinda Charlton is back. She is our One Kids director who's been gone for four months. And I know some of you don't even really know her that well because she was on staff for only a month and then she left for four. Uh, and so some of you are going to get to kind of get to know her now that she's back. So this is her first Sunday back. And uh, I'm just excited to have our, our staff back at, at full strength and, um, and what that's going to mean for our children's ministry going forward. So maybe she'll be in here in one of the other services and you'll see her next Sunday. Uh, but welcome her back if you know who she is. And if not, get to meet her, get to know her. Uh, what else is happening? One Central, you know, we're still continuing work on that. We've got a team together that's uh, figuring out the next steps. I know it's a long process and some of you are asking questions. Uh, what's happening? What's going on there? And we're going to have a full um, update for you coming up here in October. We're putting some stuff together, uh, making some decisions uh, that hopefully will be finalized by then. And Of course, I may have just sat on the power button somehow. I don't know how that worked. Uh, <laughs> So that's coming up. Anyway, lots of great things uh, that I'm excited about, and it's just so great to be part of a church that's making things happen, being a part of stuff, and, uh, and so um, excited about that. Why don't we pray this morning? I know when we, when we come into worship, we carry all kinds of things with us. Um, again, some of us had a great week, some of us a difficult week, and I wanted to give us a few moments to reflect and to voice your prayers and your concerns to God, and then we'll join together uh, as I close this in prayer. Father, thank you that we can worship you with electric guitars blazing and drums just crashing and, and lifting our voices totally. God, i just so moved by that song, How Great You Are. It's just, uh, like Chris said, the lyrics of that song, the words just touch such a deep chord. And um, I thank you for opportunities to worship like that. And I thank you for the silence that you hear our heart, that we can bring our requests to you. God, may we also bring our joys and our thankfulness and our gratitude to you for uh, the chance to be here, to sit and to worship, and just for the things that you've brought us through this week. We thank you so much. God, all these things upcoming in the life of our church, uh, we already pray now for this trip to Paraguay and what you're going to do in in us and in the people there and in this church through this experience. And 
God, I thank you for Melinda being back. You've watched over her as she's been in military training, and, and now that she's back with us, we just celebrate that. God, this morning, as the kids and one kids hear about, very specifically about just to begin a relationship with you and that you want to be there forever, friend, and uh, be with Tim, especially as he shares that truth with them during the kids' story time. And Father, may we be families and parents who nurture that faith in the kids, and may we model it and live it out for them, a vibrant life uh, in faith to you. God, as we speak now about our topic at hand, I pray that you would give us hearts to hear what you have to say, and that you would move us to do great things for your kingdom. Amen. Well, we continue our series, It's Spiritual. It's spiritual, and it's spiritual. We're, of course, talking about money being spiritual, money and things and possessions. And one thing I was saying, and I will say every, every week as we do this series, is that I believe that this is maybe one of the reasons some of us are stuck spiritually. We've been trying to pray more, we're going to church, we're reading our Bibles, or maybe we're trying to do something to grow spiritually. And what we haven't considered is that our money and our resources are actually a vehicle, an avenue, that we can grow closer to faith in Christ. And that might be one reason that you're stuck. And here's the good news, you can get unstuck by the way in which we handle our resources. Last week, we looked at a scripture that Jesus um, was speaking, he was teaching, and he said this, wherever your what is, there your what will also be. How many of you remember? Wherever your treasure, your money, your stuff is, there your heart will also be. And so what it was saying is that Jesus is saying, look, your heart and your treasure are connected. And that is the foundational premise of this entire series. This isn't going to be a series where you're going to get really good practical advice on money. We do that, and we will do that coming up in, in, in another series in the new year. But this is about a spiritual connection, understanding that what we do with our stuff has a direct bearing on where our heart is. And what is God after? He's not after our stuff. He's after our heart. And so the idea is that we can use money to lead our heart to God. We can use our stuff and our things to lead us towards God. And that is an amazing truth that if we get this thing right, we start seeing resources and the things that we have not as this thing that's separate from our faith. I do church. I pray. I uh, you know, I serve, I do those things. That's my, my, my Christian responsibility, my, my relationship with Christ. But my money, oh, that's just how I live this life and do the things that I want. No, the two are very connected. And I think we have this tension that we feel in life, or at least we wonder if these are compatible. I would say that probably most of us have a goal that at some level looks like this. We want to make as much money as we can. I've really never met somebody that says, I want to make as little as I can. I think we want to make as much money as we can so that we can afford the best life that we can for our, our family, for ourselves. We want to enjoy and get the most out of life. And so we realize and feel like we've got to have money to be able to do that. And so we pursue an education. We try to get a job. We try to get raises. We try to get promotions. We, we do the things that you know, will, will further our careers because that will mean we can live a more prosperous life and see, get more out of life. And that's kind of the goal, to retire and have a lot of money in retirement and live out and travel the world. And it's like, that's our goal. And now spiritually, I have these goals, and we think those are different goals. Now, are these compatible? Because in Scripture, there's a key passage where, where there's a, a, a person, and it's the servant, and he's coming to his master, and he's called to account for his life. And he tells the master what he's done. And the master says to the servant, Jesus essentially is saying to the servant, what I want to hear when I stand before Christ one day. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, when it all comes down to it, when we're at the end, or if the end happens when we leave here today, when we face Christ, 
How many of you guys want to hear God say that to you? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, does pursuing the kind of life I just described, does that, will that get you that accolade from Christ? Well, let's find out. It might, it might not. I don't know. You know, it depends how you look at it. But, but Ashley's already convinced it's not the case. <laughs> Ashley's pretty smart, too. Um, well, let's turn and look to see where that verse actually came from and what the story is that Jesus tells, because I think it's going to tell us a lot about our money. So turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and we're going we're gonna to take a look at this, at this story. Jesus is a master storyteller, and actually in chapter 25, he tells three stories about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Three stories about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And, and he begins in chapter 25 with a story, which I'm not going to get into today. It just kind of frames in the story we're about to talk about, which is he's basically telling the story that the kingdom of heaven is like these people that are waiting, these brides that are waiting for their, the groom to return. And, and what he's basically saying, the kingdom of heaven means you better be ready for when Christ returns. You better be active and looking and waiting and ready. Prepare yourselves for Christ's return. But we could stop with that story and say, okay, I'm just going to be ready. I'm going to hunker down in church, and we're just going to try to pray and just wait for God to come, and and I'm just going to try to be ready. Well, then comes this next story, and that's the one we're going to look at today. And it's the story of three servants. And it begins like this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a trip. Now, we're going to go kind of verse by verse through some of this. So if you want to read ahead like some of you do, that's fine. But I'm going to go verse by verse. Um, Here's the thing, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven will be like, what's he trying to tell us? What kingdom do we live in right now? The kingdom of the United States of America, right? We have King Obama, okay? We have King, you know, governor locally. We've got, you know, county superintendents. This is the kingdom that we live in. And this kingdom is a kingdom of capitalism. It's a a kingdom of gain, and there's opposing views. There's Republicans and Democrats and independents and Tea Party candidates. And there's all this stuff happening in the kingdom of the United States, in the kingdom of man. And Jesus keeps telling his followers over and over and over, there is another kingdom, and it's the kingdom of heaven. And let me tell you what that's like. And here's the thing, the kingdom of heaven isn't like this once I die, that's what it's going to be like on the other side. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here, the kingdom of heaven is now. And if you are a follower of Christ, and whether or not you realize it or not, we're all living in the kingdom of heaven. It's just some of us see us as being being citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And he says, and the value system in the kingdom of heaven is very, very different than the kingdom of man. And so if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you're now living in a new kingdom under a new reality. And so, you know, you might be an American, you might be a Republican, you might be a Democrat, Tea Party, whatever... You know what that is? That's secondary, if you even want to go that high, to your first allegiance, which is the kingdom of God, which covers all of that and every nation and every tribe in this world. And these principles apply across the board. And so it doesn't matter to me what you are. Because first and foremost, your identity and allegiance isn't as an American. It's as a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ, and if you're a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, we ought to be living by the, the rules of the kingdom of heaven. And there are principles in the kingdom of heaven that, that when we follow them, we begin to realize the fullness of life and what Christ has for us. And so Jesus tells these stories to help us understand what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven. And so he goes and he tells another one, another one of these stories. And this is the one we're going to look at today. He says this, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a trip. A man going on a trip. It's just so simple, right? 
So this man, he goes on a trip. What's this all about? He called together his servants, and he gave them money to invest for him. Now, you all got your pens and you're taking notes this morning, right? There's some important things that you need to be writing down. And so one of the first things I want you to, to write down as we look at the story is that, that Jesus here is talking about a man who's going on a trip, and this is, and I'll just tell you, this is about Jesus leaving. He's going away for a while, and he's leaving his servants in charge. And so the first thing we need to recognize, even as we're talking about our resources and our stuff, everything that we have, the first thing we have to realize is we have to recognize the source. We have to recognize the source. As we're talking about money and possessions, and this parable, let me tell you, goes way beyond money and possessions. This isn't like a story only about how to handle your money. That's a part of this, and we're going to apply this to that part. But this parable is about so much more. And we have to recognize the source. The man goes on a trip, and whose money does he give his servants? His money. He's giving it to them. He is entrusting it to their care. I think they were under no illusion that this was their money. Now, when I was in, in college, I was 21 years old, and uh, my parents had an offer to go to Europe. They were pastors, and they had an opportunity to go to, to Switzerland for a year to help a church. And our church, where we were at in Detroit, said, you can come back in a year if you want to do that. We're going to hold your position open. We'll fill it for a year. And, and if you, you know. So they, were, they, they took that. And so they moved. And I have four sisters. My, my two older ones, I have three sisters. My, my two older ones, I have four daughters. See, I get very confused. A lot of women in my life. Um, I have two older sisters, and they were married. And, so they, and one had just gotten married, so she moved out. And then I had this annoying younger sister, who I love dearly now, but seven-year younger sister, who was going to move with them to Europe. So I had this house all to myself. I'm 21 years old. My parents left and put me in charge of this house. I had the house. I had the car, a nice Audi that my parents had, right? And, and, and I had leather couches, and I had the TV, and I had this place all to myself. And you know what my parents even did? They put me on their checking account so that I could manage the house and the property and the grounds and the house and take care of everything while they were gone. Were they dumb or what? <laughs> no, I mean, they had obviously somehow that conveyed to me this great sense of trust and responsibility. And, but I was under no illusion that this was all mine. I acted like it was. I wanted to be the big man, and I loved having the place, but it wasn't mine. It was to me for, for me to manage for them until they returned. It was like my parents going on a trip and leaving me in charge and saying, Mark, take care of this property. And when we come back in this house and take care of yourself, they, they conveyed a lot of trust. I was under no illusion that it's mine. We must recognize the source. And so many times, I think most of us, before we come to Christ, or even if we don't think about it, we think everything we have, this is mine. I earned it. I deserved it. It comes from me. I'm the one busting my tail, went through school. I got, you know, I'm, I'm working a hard job. I'm putting in extra hours. I deserve this. It's mine. And over and over again, we're reminded in Scripture, you ain't got nothing if it doesn't come from God. Nothing. He gives it to you. And so we must recognize the source and talk about something being spiritual when you realize you're dependent on the source. That makes our stuff very spiritual. And it also leads us to gratitude when we start realizing, this isn't my stuff. God, you've, you've entrusted me with this? You've, you, you believe I can handle this? Thank you gratitude. Instead, we often approach God as trying to steal from us, take from us, when we ought to be saying, thank you. I mean, I came home yesterday. I went garage sailing. Woo, did I go garage sailing. It was awesome. And uh, I came home with stuff for the girls, like bags full of clothes for the girls. Like 25 cents, 50 cents for these clothes. So, I mean, our girls are wearing really nice stuff, but it's 25 cents. 
But I came home and I bought these, this like wedding gown thing, like a bridesmaid dress for girls. I got it for like a buck. And I knew it would be a fun play dress. And, and I bought like a $2 tricycle and a $5 bike that didn't have a seat. But, you know, that's all right. I'll put a seat on it. And anyway, so I bring this stuff home, and they love it, and they're all excited about it. But then they start fighting over the dress. They're fighting and crying, and it's my turn. And, my, and I'm sitting them down. I said, I came home. I gave you all this stuff. And if it's going to create fighting and bitterness and anger, and you don't even say thank you, like, I'm going to take it away. I'm going to get my five bucks back. And it's the same principle in some ways where it's like God gives to us, and he wants this gratitude, and we need to realize... He is the source, so we're talking about everything. He is the source. Now here, what's the other part in that verse? He gave it to them, and what did he tell them to do? What did he tell them to do? Look in your Bibles. What's the word? Invest it. He didn't say to spend it. He didn't say to squander it. He didn't say to save it. He said invest it. Now, any investment has, has this word that many of us don't like, risk. It means to take a risk, to take a chance, to do something. And who are they to invest it for? Who are they to invest it for? The master, right? I mean, if I give my Edward Jones guy a thousand bucks and say, hey, invest this into a, into a mutual fund for me, and then I come back into his office a week later and, and, and he says, hey, you like my new couch? This is really nice. Yeah, very cool. How, where's my money? Oh, I, yeah, I didn't invest it. But I got this couch for a thousand bucks. What would I do? It's, it was to invest for the master's estate, to invest it into his things. And this comes back to this discussion we had last week, storing up treasures in heaven versus storing up treasures on earth. How do we invest what God has given us? Again, not just money, our talents, our times, our resources into his kingdom. So we're given to invest. And here's why it's spiritual. It's an honor. When God gives you anything, it's saying to you, look, I believe you can handle what I've given you, and it's an honor. I want you to invest it in my kingdom. Jesus left because he trusted us to take care of this world and to reach people and to make a difference, that he left and said, you can do this, and I'm going to give you the resources to do it with. So we must invest it for him. All right, let's move on to verse 15. He gave five bags of gold, and some scriptures say talents, which was a currency, and it, for our sake, it could be, you know, $50,000 or whatever, right? He gave $50,000, five bags of gold to one, two bags of gold to another, and one bag of gold to the last. It's not fair. That's not fair. He got five bags of gold. I only got two. Why don't we go one? It's not fair. God's not fair. There's some people that are so talented. There's some people that have so much money. There's so many people that have better jobs, and I've worked hard. It's just not it's not fair. What, what's going on? And we complain and we look around. It's not fair. But actually, it looked like it was pretty fair because why, why did they get that? Dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. Past performance does not necessarily indicate future results, as you know, in investing. But apparently past performance has a lot to do with what you're given to invest today. The master knew his servants. They worked for him, and, and he knew whether or not he could trust them and how much he could trust them with, or also how much ability they had. This wasn't a judgment call on their value to him. It was a simply he's going to take his stuff and give it to those that can manage it well and at different levels. And it doesn't minimize one or the other, but one was given one. He was still given one. If somebody gives you $10,000 to invest for them, does that convey trust? Absolutely. He didn't have to do anything. But he, he believed, even in the one with one, one bag of gold, that he has the power 
to do something and to make something happen with that. But the principle already starts to exist here that we hear that what God blesses us with, what he gives us, has a lot to do with how we manage what we've, what we've got. And so the term stewardship often comes up. And that used to be only like a church term. But now we're starting to see it in the corporate world as well. And stewardship is a management. It's a taking care of handling the estate of another or the affairs of another. And so here they're, they're called to, to invest and they're given, by, given according to these different, um, their abilities. So then, move, then we move on here, verse, verse 16. The servant who received the five bags of gold began immediately to invest the money and soon doubled it. The servant with two bags of gold also went right to work and doubled the money. But the servant who received the one bag of gold dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money for safekeeping. A couple principles right out of this this verse here. I mean, there's there's a couple things he did. They, They got their stuff, they were given the resources, and they began right away. They began to start, and here's the principle, start with what you've got. Right? We complain, we look around, somebody else has more, somebody else has this talent, this gift, this ability, this money, this house, this car, this job, and, and, and it freezes us and it paralyzes us. We just, and we do this comparison thing. And if we start with what we've got, we've got to first say, look, God has given me this. Do something with it. And the other half of that is we've got to start. Some of us say, we'll start when. I'll start doing something for my master when. When God comes through for me with this promotion. When I get that extra raise, then I'll have some resources to do something for God. When I pay off this debt. Right? When I get this, uh, you know, when, when my kids are out of college. When, when, if, when, when I come through this thing. We never start. We don't do anything. And some of us like this other guy's like, uh, I'm going to just, I don't want to squander it. I'm just going to bury it. And right, So he literally gets to work digging a hole and putting the money in the ground. And at some level, we're kind of going, well, at least he's not going to lose it. I mean, he's going to at least preserve it. He, really, he didn't blow it on anything. He's not squandering it. At least that's a good thing. But these other two went right to work. They began to invest it. And you can't double your money if you don't risk. There's no way. You can't double your money. So somehow there's something in the kingdom of heaven where God is saying, I'm going to give you resources. You risk something for me in the kingdom and get started right away. Because you don't know. We don't know when this man's coming back from the trip. It's going to be a longer trip, we know, but he's going to come back any time, and he's been gone for a while. So we better be, we better be ready. And so there, the, the idea is just we've got to start, and we've got to move to action. Now here's the thing, verse 19. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Dun-dun-dun! Right? Okay, he comes back. <laughs> the end of the story, he comes back, right? The man leaves, but he comes back. And when he comes back, he's going to say, what'd you do? You know, my parents came back from their trip. And if the car had flat tires and the weeds were overgrowing the fence and the bank, the checking account was, was dry and the couches were ripped up, there'd be some trouble. <laughs> At some point, we have to be called to account. We will be called to account. It's another principle. At some point, God is going to call and say, what did you do with what I blessed you with? What did you do with what I gave you? And we get this principle in life, but somehow we don't think this applies to God. If you work for a company and you have some access to some dollars and you do some purchasing and you do some buying, you go out and spend that money on yourself? Absolutely not. And if you do, you get arrested. You get fined. You get thrown in jail. You get fired. When you guys entrust money to this church, we just spend it however we want. 
Every receipt, no. Every receipt says what purpose that was for, what account that came from. There's accountability. And what God is calling us when he says, We're gonna call, I'm going to call you to account, he's asking for where's the money trail lead? Show me, I, you account for the money I've given you, account for the resources I've given you, account for the talents I've given you, account for the life I've given you, and let's see what you've done with it. Right? So, so how, do you, how do you approach that? How do you feel about that, knowing that your life is going to be called to account? My life's going to be called to account. Are you fearful of that? I think many people are very afraid of the judgment or afraid of meeting Christ or afraid of having to stand before God and say what they did with their lives. Fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. So that's not God's spirit in us. I think the reason we fear is because we're afraid of what we've done. We're afraid. We, I know what it's like if, you, you know, if you're a kid and you come back to your parents, what would you do with the money? Uh, blew it on cotton candy at the, at the fair. You know, I know you gave it to me to do this, but I spent it on something else. We're afraid if we've squandered, if we've done something else with it. But, but if we've done something well with it, there's a sense of joy. There's a sense of excitement. I mean, if you doubled somebody's money in this story, if you were that servant, how would you approach the, the day the master came back? Yes, I doubled the money. I can't wait to tell them what I've done. I can't wait to show these results. Right? And so I think that begins to speak, again, about our responsibility. It begins to speak about um, what we did, and we are called to account. And the money trail reveals what we've done and how we've handled the responsibilities that are given to us. So here we come to the, to the peak of the story here, at least where they're giving account. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of gold said, Sir, you give me five bags of gold to invest, and I have doubled the amount. The master was full of praise. And here it is. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Small amount? Five bags of gold? $50,000? The small amount? I thought that was the big amount. You've been faithful in handling the small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Woo! Man, he gets to celebrate. He gets to spend time with the master. He gets to hang out together. He's going to be entrusted with more. He's got greater responsibilities. He's feeling great. He's going to be having dinner tonight with the boss at a very fancy, swanky place. And he's going to just get to bring his family. And he's going to enjoy the rewards of what has happened in spending that time with his master. Next came the servant who had received the two bags of gold with the report. Sir, you gave me two bags of gold to invest, and I have doubled the amount. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Now, is this a typo in the Bible? I mean, it wasn't, I mean didn't he say the exact same thing to the one with, uh, with five bags of gold? I mean, in the economy of man, the boss would say, great job. I'm going to buy you some pizza. Because right, he didn't do as well as the guy with the five bags of gold. But I love that Jesus tells this parable, says the kingdom of heaven. It begins to tell us, look, whether you've got five, whether you've got two, it's what you do with it. It's how you handle it. It's how you manage it. It's how you invest it. It's not just the amount of what you do, but it's your faithfulness to what he's done. And this man gets the exact same reward, and so would the man with the one bag of gold would get the exact same reward if he would invest it and handle it well. So here comes, verse 24, Then the servant 
with the one bag of gold came in and said, uh, Sir, I, I know you're a hard man, investing crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, uh, so I hid it in the earth, and here it is. I mean, I didn't, I didn't lose it. I didn't do anything. I mean, I just, uh, he began his whole journey out of fear. His whole idea of, of, of doing things for the master was motivated by fear. He obviously did not know his master. God doesn't have to cultivate where he didn't plant at all as God's. And so he, but, he, but he plays up the scenario, and so at least he plays it safe. And I think so many followers of Christ think, at least I'm playing it safe. At least I'm not as bad as those guys. At least I'm not squandering my money. At least I didn't do this, that, or the other. And we think we're safe, and we come up with this idea, well, well I've got this plan, and when God comes back, I'm going I'm to tell him, at least I did this, and I did a little bit of this, and it's not at all what God wants. See, it doesn't matter what you think ought to be and how it ought to happen. He's saying, look, just playing it safe, right? What, what, what's the result of that? So he comes in, and he's, he's trying to make it all sound good. Verse 26, but the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Ouch. Man, this is your pick-me-up verse for the day, okay? This is like feel-good story that Jesus tells. You wicked and lazy servant. You think I'm a hard man, do you? Harvesting crops I didn't plant and gathering crops I didn't cultivate? Well, you should have at least put my money into the bank so I could have some interest. See, he doesn't say I am a man that does those things and I'm unfair and unjust, but even you condemn yourself. Even if you thought those things, wouldn't you have at least put it in a bank where you could get some interest and at least make some profit, do something with it? See, just sitting on zero, just doing nothing, isn't good enough. It's not what we were called to do. It's not doing things for the master with his money. And as we know in even economics, if you put money under a mattress... $1,000 under a mattress for 30 years, and you pull out $1,000, you're going to be able to buy a gallon of milk for it. <laughs> or whatever, right? Because even inflation and even time, you're losing ground doing nothing, even just holding steady. And so that's not an option. This is about action in the kingdom of heaven with what we've been entrusted with. And then he says to the, then the master says to him, take the money from this servant, and give it to the one with the ten bags of gold. Because obviously this, this other guy knows what he can do. And, but this guy's going, but I didn't lose it. I didn't squander. Like, even going to take away the, that which you've given me? Yeah. He took it away. And he gave it to the one that he found most trustworthy and most faithful. And then, and then Jesus really summarizes the point, which he doesn't always do in stories, but he gives us a very clear summary here. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. See, this isn't a downer story. It's only a downer story if we're afraid. I mean, if we're afraid and we think God's a harsh man and we think that, that, uh, you know, that, that, that we're not going to be able to, to do things, we're, we're feeling guilt on ourselves, then it maybe it's a harsh story, but not at all. The point of the story is to those who use well what they have been given. It didn't say to those who are rich or those who have a lot of talents. Whatever you've been entrusted with, use it well. And if you do... You're going to be given more. And not just more, you're going to have an abundance. I mean, isn't that that pursuit of that goal of an abundance? At some level, yes. But to say the blessed life, I think if you have an abundance, those people that work for, like, let's say, a wealthy company, 
where they're being really treated well and they're working hard, they receive the benefit of being part of that in their life and their lifestyle and what they're doing and who they're with. They benefit from the abundance of their master. We've got the God of the universe, the creator of this world, every resource is at his disposal saying, you want to have access to more and leveraging it more for the kingdom? Well, don't use it on yourself and squander on those things. Begin to invest it, and I'm going to let more and more money, more and more stuff, more and more talents flow through you for my purposes, for my kingdom. This isn't about a get-rich theology. This isn't about, you know, if you drive your, um, you know, your VW well, the next car you get is going to be an Audi. And if you drive your Audi well, you'll get one of those R8 Audis. And if you drive that well, any men with me here yet? Or ladies, if you like cars? Anyway, it's not, that's not what this is about. It's about leveraging investments for the kingdom of God. And so he says it's, you'll have an abundance. But then he says, but from those who are unfaithful, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. <laughs> I can't just leave it out there. <laughs> it's harsh. But I think it's the, if we look at the negative, but if we look at the positive and see God wants to do something through us. He wants us to share in his happiness. He wants to invite us to celebrate with him. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing. And the good news is here, whatever you've been given, God is saying, I trust you to make a difference for my kingdom, to make an impact, to use what you have. And that's why how we handle our resources, how we handle our stuff, how we handle our physical abilities, our our intellectual, mental, emotional (laughs) gifts and talents, that we have the whole picture. It's spiritual. It all matters. We can't pull money out of that and say, my spiritual life is this. But all this other stuff doesn't matter. God says, look, it's all part of the kingdom of heaven. And then he actually goes on in verse 25 and tells that third story and really says, at the judgment, what's going to matter? Did you feed the hungry? Did you clothe the naked? Did you make a difference in this world? Did you visit the lonely? About being invested in the kingdom of heaven. And what happens is the, the joy and the life and the abundance of life that we get to live far outweighs holding on, being selfish, being tight, trying to build our own little kingdom in this world, which we're not going to last and which leave us utterly miserable. It's spiritual because God wants to grow our heart and our life towards him and to make a massive difference in this world. This isn't so much about what we do with money right now or the practical things, but it's about why it matters because it's spiritual. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for telling stories that we can remember, that we can think about, that we can chew on, that we can process and talk about and with, with our spouse or with our friend or in our roots group and just, God, to see what this means for us. Help us not to compartmentalize our lives, God, but to see that everything comes from you. You are the source. You're entrusting us to do things for your kingdom. You want to bless us. You want us to to be part of your inheritance, to have an abundance, to celebrate with you. Father, give us joy in knowing that this holding us to account isn't a bad thing, but that your desire is for us to grow and to experience abundance and richness through you. Father, wherever our heart is tight, wherever we feel constricted, wherever we have doubt, wherever we may not trust you, wherever we think we're the source of things, God, just break through that, that hardness or that darkness 
May we see the joy of serving and loving uh, you and your kingdom, Lord. Amen.